today. I have enjoyed the opportunity to come and be in the services this morning. Enjoyed the fellowship with the preachers that came out. I tell you what, that was a great crowd of preachers for fellowship. I have been at fellowships that had uh, in churches that were established a lot uh, more years than what this church has been established. Had a preacher's fellowship and only had like four preachers come. So that was a great crowd this morning. And for those who were responsible for the food, thank you so very, very much. It was absolutely delicious. And I think all of us are going to go home fed up today. And that's, and that's the way to go home, fed up. So thank you folks for the good food. It was delicious. I've enjoyed the singing. I was sitting there uh, enjoying the song, standing on the uh, promises in my mind. I have a, I have a tape, a cassette tape, which is then becoming archaic now. Uh, cassette tapes are like 8-track tapes, or almost like 8-track tapes. But uh, it is a service from 1945. It is the last service of the last day of the year, December 31st, 1945. It is from the First Baptist Church of Fort Worth, Texas, where J. Frank Norris was the pastor. And of course, uh, World War II had just, it just ended, and they were having their New Year's Eve watch night service. And they were singing on that tape there, singing that song, Standing on the Promises. And I thought, you know, thank God for a new church, young pastor, singing the old hymns. Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. those old hymns pack a punch. Yeah, right. You can't beat right. those. They're so doctrinally sound. Yeah. And, and you, can, you can, they preach a message in and yeah. of themselves. Yeah. And so, Brother uh, <clears throat> Murtry, God bless you. I'm thrilled to see what the Lord has done yeah. here. And uh, you folks that are members of Liberty Baptist Church, uh, it's, it's just a special blessing to come and see your faithfulness and just let me encourage you, stay behind the leadership and you've got a good man here, a good family, been trained right, brought up right, and uh, you've been off to a great start. Let me just encourage you to keep going on for the Lord. And of course, these preachers that were here this morning, my friends, I, I am comfortable in their presence. They're, they're my crowd. Good to have Brother Jason here. He worked for us for uh, six years as our, they did several things, youth director, financial uh, manager ran the finances of the church and uh, did a great job and just uh, loved the people, buried himself in the work. And, and then uh, we were excited about this church planning ministry until the day came that he came and said God was calling him away to start a church. <laughs> and he went down to Quincy and uh, has started there, the Grace Baptist Church. And so then just recently uh, we lost our other longtime assistant of eight years, Brother Caleb Hanson. He went up to Minnesota take his home church, Brother Tom. I don't know if you knew that or not, but uh, he's now up in Rochester doing very good up there. So it's exciting. It's exciting, I know, to see these young men in the pasture, Brother, Brother McMurtry, and it's exciting to see what they're doing for the Lord. So let me get you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I appreciate you being here. Some of you probably heard this, I heard this story, but I'll tell it anyway for those who haven't heard it. It's, uh, I like to look out and see uh, a congregation that has a, uh, a, a mixed age group. In some places you get, uh, it looks like it looks like snow in the auditorium. That's all there is. You know, gray hairs. And then in other churches, you, the gray hairs are completely absent. But uh, it's good to come to be in a service where there's a mixture of children and, and uh, elderly and all the folks in between. And uh, it reminds me of the story about creation. When the Lord was in the act of creation, and he, uh, he created the dog. And uh, he said, dog, he said, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit on the front porch of the house, and I want you to bark at everybody that goes by. Do not give anybody a break. You give them fits. You bark like crazy at anybody that passes. And I'm going to give you a lifespan of 20 years. And the dog said, dear Lord, 20 years of sitting on the porch and barking at people seems awfully long. 
Uh, how about if I do it for 10 years and give you back 10? Would that work? And the Lord said, okay, we can do that. And then he created the monkey. And he said, monkey, now your job is completely different. He said, I want you to jump around and do tricks and entertain people and make them laugh and just help people have a great time. And for that, I'm going to give you a lifespan of 20 years. And the monkey, he kind of picked up on the dog, you know, and he said, Lord, that's an awful long time to be jumping around making folks laugh. That sounds tiring. How about if I do what the dog did? I'll do it for 10 years and give you back 10. And the Lord said, okay, that'll work. And then he created the cow. And he said, cow, now you're completely different. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create you to slave in the sun. You're going to give birth to calves and you're going to give milk and you're going to labor in the daytime to support the farmer's family and you're going to work in the hot sunshine. And he said, for that, I'm going to give you a lifespan of 60 years. And the cow nearly passed out. 60 years of hard labor. He said, Lord, that's an awful long time. How about if I'll do it twice as long as the dog and the monkey, 20, and give you back 40. And the Lord said, okay, I did it for them, I'll do it for you. Then he created man. He said, man, you got it made. He said, tell you what, he said, you're going to eat and drink and sleep and play and then get married. And for that, I'm going to give you a lifespan of 20 years. And the man said, Lord, that sounds like such a fun life. Eat, drink, sleep, play, and then get married. How about if I take the 20 you gave me, the 40 that the cow gave back, the 10 that the monkey gave back, and the 10 that the dog gave back, that would give me a lifespan of 80 years. And the Lord said, okay, but don't forget that you asked for it. And that's why for the first 20 years, we eat, drink, sleep, play, and get married. And then for the next 40 years, we slave in the sun to support the family. And then for the next 10 years, we jump around and do tricks to entertain the grandchildren. And for the last 10 years of our lives, we sit on the front porch and bark at everybody. <laughs> 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 kind of figure out where you are in life by what's going on right now. <laughs> anyway, so glad to see you here tonight. Thank you for coming. Let's stand together in honor of God's word. I want to read one verse for us in 1 Corinthians 15, which of course is the great resurrection chapter. But I want, to, I want to speak on a subject that Paul addresses before he gets to the resurrection. And in verse number 10 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives a great testimony. He says there, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. I want to speak to you tonight for a few minutes on this subject, the power of grace. The power of grace. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to help us, all right? Father, we are thankful for this church. We're thankful for Brother McMurtry and your call upon his life, for his years of service at his dad's place, faithfully serving, training, learning. Then, Lord, you brought him here. And these good people who are members of Liberty Baptist, Lord, we're thankful for them in this area. I pray that you'll bless them. And truly, Lord, make this church a lighthouse in this area. Thank you for our friends who've driven over tonight from LaSalle and Amboy and other places. And I pray that you'll get everybody a safe journey home after a while. But Lord, for these few minutes that we've assembled here, would you please speak to our hearts? Oh God, I ask you through your Spirit's power to help me as I speak and each one of us as we listen. Do a work in our hearts, I pray. And I'll ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. Thank you. Be seated. And keep your Bible open there to 1 Corinthians 15 and we'll break this verse down in just a minute. I This is not Bible doctrine. This is my personal opinion. Just my opinion. I believe that grace is the most beautiful word in the Christian yeah. vocabulary. I really do. Amen. I love the yeah. word grace. Yeah. I love the song Amazing Grace. Yeah. 
I love the song that talks about the marvelous, infinite grace of God, matchless grace. I love that song. I like songs that sing about grace. As Baptists, we defend salvation as being by grace and only by grace and all of grace. It is a great Bible doctrine, a beautiful word, a lovely subject about which to sing. But that's, this is my question tonight. Is that all grace is to us? Is all grace is a beautiful word, a, a beautiful subject about which to sing, a great doctrine to defend, or is grace effective and active and productive in our lives today? Right now. In verse number 10 of 1 Corinthians 15, you find the word grace used three times. People, you know when you read your Bible, you're trying to study and learn your Bible, when God repeats himself, it's not because he ran out of something to say. When God repeats himself, it's for sake of emphasis. And so if you're studying your Bible and you see a word or a phrase or a subject used over and over again, God is trying to get our attention and he's emphasizing a certain matter. And here, three times in the same verse, God uses the word grace. Now, in this context, Paul had been saved for approximately 25 or 30 years. He is the human pen of the book that we know as 1 Corinthians. The Holy Spirit of God gave it to us through the, the, the pen of the Apostle Paul. So he's been saved for 25 or 30 years, and yet he's able to say that grace is still effective and productive and active in his life 25 or 30 years after he got saved. And that's what I'm afraid happens too often. Too often we always talk about grace in the past tense. I got saved by the grace of God 38 years ago this month. On October 15, 1975, I got saved by the grace of God. And hopefully you have a similar testimony like that. There was a day when you got saved by the grace of God. But friend, grace should not always be referred to in the past tense of our life. Grace should be active, it should be effective, it should be productive in our lives now. And it is my contention that if grace is left unhindered, if it is left alone, it has tremendous power to work in our lives. I like what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20. He said, I do not, frust chapter 1 and verse number 20, he said, I do not, <coughs> excuse me, frustrate the grace of God. I do not frustrate the grace of God. What did Paul mean when he used that word frustrate? When he used that word frustrate, like neutralizing or short-circuiting, okay, the grace of God. Paul was saying that there is power in grace, and I don't frustrate or neutralize or short-circuit that power. Uh, this is probably happening to you. You uh, have been out working during the day or whatever, you know, and you drive home at night, and uh, you pull into your driveway or your garage, your car's running fine, you shut the ignition, ignition nut switch off, you go in the house, you uh, eat your supper, and you watch the evening news or whatever you do, play a game with the kids, and talk to your wife for a little while, your husband, and then you, you, know, you go down to sleep, have a good night's sleep, you get up in the morning, you uh, take a shower, you eat your breakfast, help have devotions, and off you go to work, and you go out to the car that you just drove home the night before with no problems, and you put the key in the ignition, and you turn it, and there's nothing. Or there's this ticking sound. And you think to yourself, oh my goodness, uh, something's happened to the battery. And you kind of look at the controls. Thank you, friend. I appreciate that. You kind of look at the controls on the instrument panel. 
to see if you left something on by mistake. You don't see anything that you left on. And so you pop the little latch there underneath the dashboard and the hood pops up a little bit. You get out of the car and go around. You push the little latch there and you raise the hood and you take a look at the battery. And when you look at the battery, where those posts are, that positive and negative post, there's all this gunk growing up around it. It's greenish, purplish, whitish growth. Okay? And you say, okay, I know what's happened here. And you get some tools and you uh, take apart those cables off those posts and maybe you get a bottle of Coca-Cola or some uh, baking powder and, and, and some water or you get a wire brush and you go to work on those cables and you go to work on those posts and you take all the, you take that all that junk off, you brush it all off and you brush it up real good to where it's nice and shiny. And you put the cables back on, you tighten all the bolts back down, you get in the car, you turn the ignition, mm, starts right up. There was nothing wrong with the battery. Nothing. The battery was as powerful as it always has been. There was something there between the battery post and the cables that short-circuited the power, neutralized the power in that battery. And when those posts and those cables were cleaned off, then that power could flow through that battery, from that battery, through those cables, engage the starter, and get the car started. And that's what I'm talking about with grace tonight. Paul said he had not short-circuited the power of grace. He had not frustrated the power of grace. He had not neutralized the power of grace. Grace was still effective in his life, watch it now, 25 or 30 years after he got saved. And so my question to me and you tonight, preaching to myself as much as I am to you, is grace still effective? I know we were saved by grace, but is grace still at work in our lives today? Is grace still effective in our lives today? If not, it ought to be, and there's nothing wrong with the power of grace. What happens is you and I short-circuit the power. Now, I want, you to, I want to break down what Paul said here about the power of grace in 1 Corinthians 15 and 10. He said, first of all, Paul gave a testimony. He said, grace did something for me. Now look at the first phrase of this verse. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Grace did something for me. Now what was Paul, people? Paul was a preacher. What was Paul before he got saved? He was a persecutor. So after he got saved, he was a preacher. After grace, he was a preacher. Before grace, he was a persecutor. Now listen, in other words, I'm saying this, there was a change in the Apostle Paul's life after he got saved by grace. Grace did something for him. Now not everybody is a persecutor before they get saved. Not everybody becomes a preacher after they get saved. But my point is this, grace changes people. Grace changes us. That's what salvation is all about. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become, have become new. Grace changes us. I'm, I'm sure at some point in time you probably heard preaching on the three doctrines that make up the great big doctrine of salvation. You probably heard preaching on the subject of justification. Justification takes place the minute saved. Justified. Just as if I never sinned. When we get saved, we take off the old garment of our sinfulness and God enrobes us in the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Amen. Christ. And we are in God's sight just as if we had never sinned. Justified. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1 tells us that that work of justification takes place by grace. 
being freely justified by His grace. Okay? So justification takes place right here. The minute we get saved, we are changed. Now look, I, I'm not going to dwell long on this because I don't want to, I, I don't want to labor here tonight with the crowd we have here. I, I understand there's such a thing as backsliding. I understand that there's such a thing as being patient with people after they get saved and watching God grow them. And I'm going to tell you something, friend. For somebody who claims to be saved, and continues to live in the same old sins, in the same old condition that they were in before they got saved, something's not checking out right about that. It's just not. You know, I lived in Iowa for 10 years. Lived in Iowa for 10 years. Worked for Brother Brown out there in Washington, in Washington, Iowa. My father-in-law uh, was a hog farmer. That's what he did for a living, hogs and so forth. And uh, there were confinement buildings all over. Washington County, Iowa, many years led the nation in hog production. And that's noteworthy to be known for. But that's what they known for. Hog production. There was thousands of hogs there. In all those ten years and all those thousands upon thousands of hogs, I never saw an unhappy hog in a mud puddle. <laughs> in fact, they looked like they enjoyed it. You ever seen a hog in a mud puddle? It's like they just belly up in that stuff and there's almost like a grin on their face. <laughs> they just love it. That's their nature. And you know, those old 4-H boys would take those little hogs and clean them up good, you know, run them out to the fair and try to win a blue ribbon or some kind of ribbon for those hogs. But they brought them back home, put them in the hog lot, and they'd head right for the biggest mud puddle they could find because that's the nature of a hog. But you know, for, in 10 years out there, I never saw a happy sheep in a mud puddle. <laughs> never did. That's not the nature of a sheep. Yeah. I'm just simply saying, friend, look, I, 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 I make room for people to mess up. I, this old boy, I, I haven't been perfect since I've been saved. I, I, I've had some hard knocks after I got saved. Sure did. And I'm going to tell you something. You know what? He said, Brother Angel, did you, ever, did you drop all the baggage when you first got saved? No. But I didn't enjoy the baggage like I did before I got saved. I didn't enjoy it. God changes us on the inside. When He justifies us. This justification that takes place the moment that we get saved. Now watch it. And it happens by grace. Now, one of these days, we're going to enjoy glorification. We're going to see the Lord Jesus either by death or by rapture. And the Bible teaches that when we see Him, we're going to become like Him. We're going to experience a change that is the gift of God's grace. And we're going to be glorified. We're going to have a body just like the glorified body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, it's wonderful that we won't have headaches and we won't be sick. We won't have colds. There won't be any need for funeral homes or doctors or yeah. dentists. Yeah. Won't be, but you know what's more wonderful than that, friend? Is no sin nature. Yeah. No desire to sin. No lust of the flesh. No right. temptation of Satan. No, it won't be at all. We'll be completely <laughs> glorified like the Lord Jesus changed by His grace. Now watch it. We're justified here. That happens by grace the day we get saved. The day that we see Jesus, we're going to be glorified. We're going to be made like the Lord. So what about this time period between being justified and being glorified? Are we supposed just to kind of go through this life as we always have been? This time period is referred to or should be called the time of sanctification. It's the time in which you and I are being sanctified. What's being sanctified? The word means set apart. That's exactly what it means. And it has to do with living holy. Now watch this. Sanctification is becoming less and less like what we were and more and more like what we're going to become. We were lost and without Christ before we got saved. 
One of these days we're going to be just like Jesus. And so now between justification and glorification, you and I should be experiencing sanctification. And this process of sanctification takes place through the power of grace. See, here's, here's the, the mistake we make. Can I say, can I justify myself? No, sir. No, I can't do that. That would be salvation by works. I can't do that. Can I glorify myself? No, that's the gift of God. That's a work of God's grace that He's going to do in our behalf one of these days. Look, I can't justify myself. And I can't glorify myself. But somehow we get the mentality that we've got to work real hard to sanctify ourselves. Friend, you and I are sanctified just like we're justified and glorified by grace. Grace changes us. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 18 where he talked about being changed from, about, from, one, from one grace to the next, from image to image, from grace to grace, changed into the very image of Jesus Christ. Sanctification is a process that changes us and that change is facilitated by grace. Now look, we get accused, us preachers who preach to people, I'm sure Brother Dick Mercury here preaches on the subject of holy living. Yeah. And how that God's people all live holy. And we're called to a life of holiness. And the Lord said, Be ye therefore holy, for I am holy. That's what God said. And preachers who are who, who, who preach the whole counsel of God and preach about living holy, we're sometimes called legalizers. Yeah. You bunch of legalists. Well, first of all, they don't even understand the, the, the definition of legalist. Right. A legalist is somebody who adds works to grace for salvation. Right. The legalists were the Old Testament Judaizers. Who said, yeah, you can believe on Christ, but you got to keep the law of Moses too. They're legalists. Men, preachers who preach holy living are not legalists. And listen, holy living doesn't come about by the law. Right. Holy living comes about by a work of grace in our hearts. Right. And the more I allow the power of God's grace to change me, the more my life will be conformed to the image of the light of Jesus Christ. That's what happens. Grace changes us. I love Titus chapter 2 and verse number 11. talks about the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now listen to this. Verse number 12. Paul says that grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Hear me, people. When you find a people who are living a holy life in honor and glory of God, you find a group of people where the grace of God is at work. People say, that's just a bunch of rules and laws. No, it's not. Grace changes us. Grace teaches us to deny ungodliness, to deny worldly love, and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That's what grace teaches us to do. So if grace is effective in my life, it's going to be changing me. I'm going to become less and less like the world and more and more like Jesus Christ, not because I have to live by a set of rules, but because grace is effective in my life. Grace is changing me. Grace changes us on the inside. I believe grace changes us on the outside. I'm a different person today than I was 38 years ago when I got saved. Because grace changed me on the inside and grace has changed me on the outside. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time grace changed us? 
Now, when's the last time grace changed us? You know, grace is for you and me today. Grace is for you and me in 2013. And grace is for you and me in 2014. And the grace of God does something for people. The grace of God changes people. Uh, I, uh, I, I've been married to the same, to my wife and I, to Joyce now for 34 years. be 35 years next year. We'll enjoy 35th wedding anniversary. So 34 and a half years now, we have not one time... And I give God the glory. We've not one time threatened each other with divorce. We've never used that word divorce. I wouldn't do that if I was a married man or married woman. I wouldn't threaten my, my spouse with divorce. I wouldn't use that word. Okay, and if you've been through one, may God help you not have another one. Amen? But I'm simply saying that, you know, we had not used that. She's never run off to her parents. I've never run back to my parents. We've, we, now, it's not always been smooth. It's not always been smooth. You know, it's, I heard a story one time about a preacher down in Texas and Brother Randy Taylor was revival meeting and he preached and he said, he preached up, he said, my wife and I have been married for 50 years and we haven't had so much as an argument. That's what he said. That's well known preaching. And then Brother Vineyard preached after him. And Brother Vineyard came to the pulpit. He didn't even say, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for coming. Thank you for allowing me to come. He went, 50 years. 50 years. 50 years. He said it about 20 times. 50 years. He said, my wife and I had a knockdown drag out this morning. <laughs> I can identify with that guy. <laughs> I can identify with that But I want to be very transparent with you. I, I, have, I have a terrible, terrible tendency with this tongue right here if it's not guided and guarded by God's grace, I have a terrible time being ugly with this tongue. Mom, and it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can cut somebody's friends. And I would lose my temper and I would say things, not using profanity, I would just say hurtful things. Main thing, one time we were on a vacation, on a trip down to Tennessee, we had a conflict, and boy, I went into my wife, and I said things that were hurtful and not right for a husband to say. And we were, we were, got there. Some of my family was there. We had, you know, a great time, great supper, and then stayed up and then went to bed late. We were laying there, getting ready to drift off to sleep. And my wife said, "Are you awake?" And I said, "Yes, I am." She says, "Can I talk to you a minute?" I said, "Sure." And she began to share her heart with me, and she said, "Terry, you don't understand." How what you say cuts my heart. And she just was, she just opened up and became as transparent as she could be to me. And I was laying in that bed listening to her. And I'll tell you, Brother Jason, it, God didn't speak to me in an audible voice like I was speaking to you. But the Spirit of God spoke to my heart and said, Son, if you don't get this thing fixed, your marriage will never be what I want it to be. And I mean, it was like a dart. We had our vacation. I made a mental note of that. We had our vacation. We got back to Bourbon A. Got back into the routine of the work and the ministry there. And I began to make that matter. I began to make that thing a matter of prayer. Serious prayer. And going along with God and saying, God, please change me. Please. I've been pastoring folks for I don't know how many years. Saved for how many years? Been a daddy for how many years? Grace, I needed changed. Yeah. I needed fixed. And I didn't need a rule book. I needed God's grace to 
change me. Make me different. And I began to pray and ask God, please, would you fix me? Would you change me? Now, I'm going to give you a testimony tonight. I can't claim 100% cure. But I'll hear, I'm here to tell you, my wife would back this up if she was here. It's 80 to 85 to 90% better than it was a few years ago. Grace, God's grace changed me. There's nothing wrong with God's grace. There's nothing wrong with the power of God's grace. The trouble is you and I short-circuit its power in our life. When was the last time grace changed you? I know you got saved. I know that. One of these days, you're going to be glorified by grace. But when is the last time between justification and glorification that God's grace sanctified you further? And then we never get total sanctification until we see the Lord Jesus. But it's an ongoing process. And that process is facilitated by grace. By God's grace working. What kind of problem do you have? Do you have a problem with your temper? Do you have a problem with lust? Problem with, with what you see? You have a problem with controlling things with the television? What do you have a problem with? You have a problem with, like me, with how you speak to your family? You have a problem with laziness? What do you got a problem with? You say, yeah, I just got to get me another rule. We don't need rules, folks. I mean, I'm not against them. They're in the Bible. But what we need is the grace of God working in our lives. We need God's grace to be effective because grace does something for us. It changes us. Okay, so Paul's testimony about the power of grace was that the first thing it did, it changed him. It did something for him. Number two, quickly now, the last two points aren't near as long. Number two, Paul said, grace did something to me. Now, I love this point. He said, first of all, grace did something for me. It changed me. By the grace of God, I am what I am. But then look what he said in the middle of the verse. He said, in his grace, second time the word is used, which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Whoa, time out. Do you see what Paul said grace made him do? Grace did something to him. Grace made him labor. Grace made him work. Grace made, folks, work is not a dirty four-letter word. Work is a good word. Paul said, grace made me labor. Grace made me work. Grace made me serve God. It wasn't a, an apostle's manual of requirements that Paul checked every Monday morning. Okay, I did this this past week and this this past week because I've got to keep up on my manual, my apostle requirements. It wasn't requirements written down on a piece of paper that made Paul serve. It was God's grace. God's grace was effective in his life. And you know what the result of God's grace working in his life was? What can I do for you, Lord? Here I am. Use me today, dear God. How can I serve you today? What can I do for you today? How can I labor for you today, dear God? How can I serve you? And folks, that's what Paul said grace did to him. I'll tell you what, I, I believe with all my heart that we are living in a day where the doctrine of grace is abused as bad as any doctrine in the Bible. People take liberty to do everything and it's because they're under grace. Under grace gives people liberty and license to do everything. Including miss church, never serve the Lord. But i got a Bible where the writer told me, tells me and you, grace didn't 
Give him excuse to miss serving God. Grace made him want to serve God. That's what grace was doing in Paul's heart. Lord, how can I live for you? How can I work for you? How can I serve you? What can I do for you today? Listen, God did not save us just so we could have a fire escape from hell. I'm thankful we don't have to go to hell. I'm thankful that's not hanging over my head, aren't you? I praise the Lord for that. But friend, God didn't save me just so I could use it as salvation, as a fire escape from hell. In fact, you get over to Ephesians chapter 1. Three times Paul said that God saved us for the praise of His glory. For the praise of His glory. For the praise of His glory. My salvation, oh sure, I can enjoy it and shout about it and be thrilled about it. But ultimately, it's supposed to bring God glory. And one of the ways I bring God, God glory with my salvation is to serve Him and work for Him and honor Him. And grace makes us do that. That's Paul's testimony. What a shame that Baptist people have to be beat over the head to make us serve. It ought not be that way, folks. You know, you say, well, how should it be? It should be that Baptist people go to the pastor and say, Preacher, what can I do in the church? How can I serve? What can I do? I don't want to just sit. Hey, folks, look. If you know the Bible and the New Testament, you know that what God uses to teach us about how the New Testament church works is the physical body. He does it several places, two or three places in the New Testament. Okay? Now, by God's grace, I have a body here. This is one body. One body with a bunch of members. Okay? Some of the members of this body you can see. You can see my hands. You can see my ears. You can see my eyes. You can see my nose. You can't miss that. It's you. You can see my mouth. You can see my neck. You can see. You can see. Some of the members of this body you cannot see. They are, they are invisible to you. In fact, they're invisible to me. And truth of the matter is, those are called vital <coughs> organs. Okay? This is one body, and God put all these members. Now listen, in order for this body to reach its potential physically, I need all these members to be actively functioning. My father-in-law mentioned was a farmer. Day after Christmas, 1968 or 69, he can't remember. Day after Christmas, he was he had a corn sheller. He was shelling corn. And his glove, he was trying to clean out the copper. And he had a glove on. And the, the auger caught the tip of that cloth glove and it was on his hand tight. And it jerked his arm down there. And he lost his arm. He had, I've never known my father-in-law with his right arm. He has about two inches of a stub below the elbow. He wore a, a, a steel hook. That's ever since I've known him. 30, 37 years, I guess, 38 years that I've known him. He had a steel hook. He worked like crazy. He was a farmer. He had corn. He had soybeans. He had turkeys. He had hogs. There was a day he had sheep. There was a day he had cattle. He was a bus captain. He, he worked, he, he was a bus, you could always tell the bus captains that Brother John was the captain of, they had dents in the ceiling because he wanted to get the kids' attention. Bang, 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 he hit that ceiling with that steel hook. And you know, you know how when, when I see Brother Jason, you know, I haven't seen him for a while, and I'm going to, you know, maybe pound him on the shoulder, I know about how hard to hit him because I have nerves in, the, in my hand, and I, you know, my, the nerves tell me about how hard to hit somebody. But a steel hook doesn't have any nerves. <laughs> doesn't have any feeling. You walk by John, he'd say, Poof, good to see you. <laughs> and that's what he did. Now, I've seen that guy. I've seen that guy. I can't only tell you all the things I've seen him do with, with hogs and turkeys on the farm, sometimes working with him on a day off, 
having fun at the farm, working with my father-in-law. He could do anything, almost anything. So it came time to button this, button this button right here. He couldn't button it. He had to have his wife button it for him. So it came time to button this button. He couldn't do it. He could not function to his full potential because he was missing this member. You with me? All right, he could not function to his full, when his, when his wife died very suddenly, my wife went out there and got all of his dress shirts and, and sewed on two pieces of Velcro so that he could take his hook arm and his good hand and put the Velcro together and get his shirt collar together. He couldn't quite function to his full potential. I can button this button, so can you. You, you We can button this button, this, we got our hands. He could not function to his full potential. Now, let me talk to Liberty Baptist Church here tonight. A church is made up, a church is a body made up of many members. And God's grace puts members in the body. Okay? And when he brings members into the body, there's a function for every member. There's something that every member of the body can do in service for God. And you know what? Not everybody's going to stand behind the pulpit. There's a lot that goes on at Faith Baptist Church and Lighthouse Baptist Church and Grace Baptist Church even that's not seen right. by people. It's hidden because people are serving and working and taking care of cleaning up the floors and, and, and cleaning the place clean and mowing the grass and washing the baptismal robes and changing the diapers in the nursery. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. Now listen, a church will not ever function to its full potential until all of its members are actively involved in doing what God wants them Amen. to do. So how is Faith Baptist Church in Birmingham doing? You know, God's been good to us. He really has. Brother Tom, we're not reaching our full potential. I know we're not. Because we've got some members that aren't involved. I'm not trying to be ugly to you tonight. I'm trying to explain what a church is. A church is a body with a bunch of members. A bunch of if God's grace is effective in everybody's life, everybody's going to be looking for that place of service. Brother Tommy, what can I do? Where can I serve? What can I do around Liberty Baptist Church? How can I serve the Lord? What do you need me to do? Shake hands with people? Watch kids downstairs in the junior church time? Uh, cut the grass? Keep the bushes trimmed and the trees looking nice? What can I do for the Lord? But friend, we all not have to beat Church members over the head. What's the matter? Come on, man. It ought to be, if the grace of God is at work in our lives, we're going to be looking for a place to serve. Right? Yeah. They'll be looking for a place to serve. Yeah. And that's what the Bible teaches. Paul said, God's grace did something for me. It changed me. And then he said, God's grace did something to me. It made me labor. It, I, I tell you, one of, the, one of the things, sometimes it's a little difficult, but one of the funnest things is when somebody comes to church and gets saved, and then after about, oh, we just had a, we just had a, a, a young young man, his wife got baptized here, oh goodness, about four weeks ago. And this past Sunday, he asked he asked to meet with me after church Sunday morning. And he said, Pastor, he said, I play the guitar and I'm learning these hymns. Is there a place where I can play the guitar, the acoustic guitar, maybe sing some hymns? It excited my heart that here's a here's a new guy that wanted to serve God. So he wanted to serve God. And folks, we haven't beat him over the head with a rule book. But to me, it's like the grace of God's at work in his life. Yeah. The grace of God's at work in his life. And God's grace 
makes us labor. God's grace makes us serve. So Paul said God's grace did something for me. It changed me. He said God's grace did something to me. It caused me to labor. Let me say last of all, number three, the last time the word grace is used in the verse. Paul said grace did something through me. Look at what he said. He talked about laboring. And then he said, but the, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And he said, why did he say that, Pastor Angel? I'll tell you why. Because, look, God's grace did make Paul labor more abundantly. Missionary journeys, churches started, scripture through his pen, souls saved from Caesar's palace to prisons. Everywhere he went, it was riot or revival. But you know what Paul said? He learned something. It wasn't him. It was God's grace through him. And that's the secret to what I just talked about. He said, Brother Angel, how in the world I could never stand up and teach a girl's Sunday school class or a boy's Sunday school class. I can't do that. You know what? You're right. You can. But God's grace through right. See, I can't preach. I can't preach with it and have any results. I can't do anything in my flesh. I can't do that. If I'm able to preach and see God bless, it's not Terry Angel. It's God's grace through Terry Angel. Listen, Brother Brown, you'll appreciate this, Brother Murtry. Years ago, I was getting ready to move to Bourbon Day, and I had to I preached a graduation up at Grace Baptist Church in Marion, Iowa, before Brother Ballard was there, way back, 1990. And uh, through a set of circumstances, it was the most horrible break. <coughs> we were just three or four days away from moving to Bourbon Day, and I had to go into all the circumstances, but it was just a horrible day where I was confused and full of doubt and wondering if I had done the right thing. And I got a phone call and a guy had told me that was a previous pastor at Faith Baptist. He said, you're making the biggest mistake of your life. You're going to go over there. Those folks are going to chew you up and spit you out. You're a fool for leaving Larry Brown. That was three or four days before I was supposed to move away. Mm. I was low. I, didn't, I was supposed to look at a message, but you guys have been there. You're so scattered in your thoughts, you can't even study. I get on a platform. I look out. The place is jam-packed. And there's like four or five preachers sitting in the congregation, pastors, including Brother Brown, because somebody from our church was graduating from that school. And I'm sitting up there thinking, I got no business preaching tonight. And Bob Parker was the pastor there then. And I almost leaned over to Brother Parker and said, Brother Bob, please ask one of these men to preach. I can't do this tonight. But I, I didn't have the heart to do that to him. So I'm sitting there on the platform. And you guys, you know, you sit out there and you think, boy, that guy's ready to preach, man. He's full of confidence. I was scared to death. <laughs> I said, oh. And so when the song ended, I said, okay, Lord, on the way to the pulpit, I said, okay, Lord, for what is worth, here it goes. <laughs> so I got, I don't know, brother, I tell you what, my goodness, a breeze came from another world. And I don't know, that sermon flowed. I had not even studied. That sermon flowed. God moved in that place. I'm not, I'm not bragging. I'm telling you that I was as discouraged and confused and full of doubt as I had ever been. Yeah. But God worked. 
Larry and Diane Brown, Brother, Brother Brown and his wife Diane, who's in heaven now, were leaving the service in the car together. He told me this the next day. And Diane Brown said, Larry, in 10 years, I've never heard Terry preach better. And he said, you never heard less of Terry than you did tonight. Now let that sink in for just a minute. And he was dead on, friend. It wasn't me. It was the grace of God. That's what God wants to do for you. God wants to make you a Sunday school teacher. God wants to make you a junior church helper. <coughs> God wants to make you successful and profitable in the work of God. You say, I came. Right. Yeah. His grace through you can. Yeah. Now, I'm not just some pie in the sky preaching tonight. That's truth. Yeah. That's what Paul said. Paul said, all that, all those missionary journeys, all those converts, all those churches, that wasn't me. That was God through me. That's exactly what he wants to do through the people of Liberty Baptist Church. He wants to do something through me. That's right. That'll get you excited. Yeah. Think about what God might do through me. What might God do? He just needs a willing vessel. He needs a conduit. He needs a pipe through which to work. grace and let God's grace do it through you. Serve the Lord. Look, I'll close. I was in Argentina preaching years ago for Brother Harrison who just took the church in Lockport. I don't know if you knew that or not. He just became pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Lockport uh, over here in Lockport, Illinois. He was down in Argentina as a missionary. He had a big old conference and I went down and preached that for him. And another missionary man preached there. And uh, he was with BIMI at the time. And he gave this illustration. He said, out here in Ohio, there was a, a middle-class couple, upper-middle-class couple, you know, ranch-style home, successful business. Wife was an interior decorator, but uh, a real heart for serving God. And at a missions conference, God, God worked with his heart. And the last night of the missions conference, he went forward, knelt, and surrendered his life to God to be a missionary. And he said he, when he was praying, he felt the presence beside of him. And he looked at looked, it, was his, it was his wife. And she said, look, I know God is doing something in your heart. Whatever it is that God wants you to do, I'm with you. I'm behind you. And he said, well, honey, God, God wants us to go to the mission. She said, fine. He got up to the pastor. He announced it to the congregation. They rejoiced. He got rid of his business, closed up shop, got ready to go to deputation candidate school down in Chattanooga. She got ready. To, she put on a yard sale. Had all these nice decorations. going to sell them all because they weren't going to take them to the mission field. She had this big bay window in her living room, and she had she had beautifully designed a purple curtain for that bay window. And she said to her husband, "Honey, do I have to sell this? Could I possibly take this curtain to the mission field because it just it's home?" He said, "Absolutely, you take that." And so they put it in a box. <coughs> the deputation candidate school, candidate school deputation went to Caracas, Venezuela, third world country, third world city. Had a little modest home in Caracas, Venezuela. And the first thing she did when they got in there, just an old place, was she took that curtain out of that box and she put it up on the, on the little simple window. It's home. God blessed. And it was just a wonderful ministry. But the day came when God burdened that man's heart for the Indian villages in the mountains outside of Caracas where the gospel had never been taken. And he 
fought it for a while, and finally he surrendered. He said to his wife, he said, honey, we're going to the Indian village. And she said, okay. So they packed up their belongings. She took that purple curtain and put it in a box, and they moved up to an Indian village that had grass-thatched huts, it's all they had, mud floors, grass-thatched huts and roofs, no windows, because they felt that windows allowed demons and devils into their little huts, so they only had doors. First thing he did, he took a saw and he saw a window inside the little hut that they moved in, just to show that he wasn't afraid of the devil spirits. He did fine. She struggled. It was backwards. It was way, way worse than in town. And uh, that curtain stayed in that box. She wasn't verbal about it, but she struggled in her heart. She had some midwife experience, some medical experience from the States. She was helping a little Venezuelan woman give birth one day. Another little Venezuelan Indian woman helping her. And the woman gave birth to a horribly deformed child. Its insides were on the outside of the body. It was obvious that it was going to die. So she did the best she could kind of get the little child together and put it in the mother's, on the mother's belly there so the mother could hold that little deformed child just for a minute or two. And uh, she did the best she could. She turned around to wash her hands in, in a little makeshift sink. And after a minute or two, she heard the most awful, outside the little hut, heard the most awful growling and snarling. And she turned around and that other woman had taken that little baby and thrown it to a pack of wild dogs because they believed that the baby had devil spirits. And she lost it. And you can understand. And she went running out of that place, went running to the little hut that they had, back in the little room where their bed was, just a little old bed on the ground there. And that missionary said that she got on her knees beside that bed and just wept before God. He said, I have no long time. I don't know how, how long she stayed on her knees. And she just said, Oh God, you've got to help me. She got up, dried the tears off of her face. Pulled the box out, took that curtain, and hung it up on the wall. And they stayed. And they had a successful ministry in a bunch of villages. We said, Brother Terry, how in the world can a middle class woman from Ohio in America go to a village like that where they throw babies to packs of wild dogs and stay there and make it home? She can't. She can, but the grace of God through her can. That's what we need, folks. You know what we need? We need a baptism of God's grace. The right definition of grace. Not the kind that we use it as liberty and license to do anything we want to do. Because we're under grace. Like God's not going to look and see what we're doing. Because we're under grace. We need a baptism with the right definition of grace. Grace that, the grace that does something for us changes us. Grace that does something to us makes us want to serve God. And grace that does something through us. We just give ourselves to Him. And He works through us. But what does God want to do through you? How does God want to change you? What does God want you to do through the power of His grace? There's power in grace if you and I don't 
Let's pray together. Thank you for listening tonight. Heavenly Father, speak for our hearts. Thank you so much for the power of your grace. May it please be effective in our lives today. May it be effective in our lives tomorrow and next week and the week after. Speak to our hearts, I pray. Thank you for your amazing, marvelous, infinite grace. My heads are bowed.